All right. Welcome back to yet another episode of Fight or Flight. My name is Seamus, and I'm here with my buddy, Bird. Bird, how are you doing today? Pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Uh, what's been going on since we last spoke? We have kind of our home stretch happening in the NBA here. Yeah, things are heating up. The uh, MVP race is getting close. Uh, players are performing pretty well. Uh, I mean, just recently I watched uh, the uh, game where it was the Nets versus the Knicks. It was the New York faceoff. And Kevin Durant went off last night. He was looking pretty good. Uh, I think he scored something about uh, 30 to 40 points of some kind uh, last night that, or today. That was really impressive. So he's looking pretty good. Of course, he's not quite in the discussion due to his injury being out for a while, but he was looking pretty good already. There's been a quite a few 50-point games since we last spoke. KD, LeBron, Kyrie, Tatum. Um, who else? Ja, I think, had one. That Yeah, LeBron's moved up, too, I think. Currently, he's in a three-way tie with most points per game this season, uh, tied with Giannis Antetokounmpo and Joel Embiid, all at 29.7 points per game. So there's been a lot of scoring. People are, especially on the star teams, you, all of these are the teams that we expect to be in contention, uh, maybe outside the Lakers. But, you know, you got the mm -hmm. Nets, you got the Grizzlies, you got um, the Celtics, uh, all making late-season pushes. So it's exciting to see some of these star performances that have been happening happening recently. Yeah, hopefully LeBron keeps it up too. I believe he's really approaching Kareem's uh, all-time points record. Uh, so hopefully he can approach that this season. If not, I everybody knows he'll be coming back. So he'll be getting it sooner rather than later. But we'll just see how soon. Because I remember uh, earlier this season, it, I remember a similar thing with Kevin or Steph Curry, I mean, uh, going for the three-point total, you know, and Right after he achieved it, he went on a slump. So we'll see if something happens with LeBron uh, in a similar way this uh, end of the season here. We will see. Another thing I want to give you, I want to give you a little bit of crap, Bird. On this, right. on this podcast, we've had two episodes. And in our most recent episode, you talked about a certain player that you felt doesn't get the media attention that he deserves. Uh-oh, uh-oh, I know who you're talking about. I think anyone who listened to the first two episodes knows who we're talking about here. Your boy, Nikola Jokic, has, I would say in the last two weeks, had a huge amount of presence within the media and the discussion for best player in the league. The Ringer, one of our uh, websites that we like to check out a bit, I would say, posted their mm -hmm. top 25 NBA players at this point of the season. Jokic, number one. And there's been a subreddit that I found recently called Top Right Jokic, which has actively showed every <laughs> chart that shows like the offensive efficiency, defensive efficiency, the quadrants, and as Jokic in the top right. It's basically just a subreddit of sharing charts in which Jokic is absolutely demolishing the rest of the league in whatever stat it's looking at. So I want to say your boy is getting some recognition, and I think it's past the point where you can say he's being ignored. I know. I, I recognize that, and I'm very happy about that. Uh, I mean, there's so many things that he's improved on this season that makes him even a better player than he was last year. Last year, his big critique that everybody said was his poor defense. This year, with uh, Jokic on the, uh, on the court, he is uh, their team has an overall, I believe, above-average uh, defensive efficiency. While he's off the court, they are below average on the def uh, defensive efficiency. So, therefore, it's proving that no longer is he a negative on the defensive end. He is now definitely helping the Nuggets uh, 
overall, not only on the offensive end, which everybody already knew about, but also on the defensive end. So he's not, I'm not going to say he's the best defender by any means in the league, but he is no longer a negative on that end. And now he's slowly improving to a pretty good defender. And you're, you're slowly going to lose everything that you would point against Jokic at. Uh, I think I heard somebody make a comment of that he's good at 97% of basketball and that 3% hopefully will be corrected within the next few years. I think that's probably a good take and I'm glad we got our Jokic take out of the way here. So, uh, you know, we didn't though. I actually wanted to make one question for you related to that. If that's what you wanted to challenge me on right away. So let's do my it. Question yeah. is, what do you got? Is it better? Is it, is it better to value a player that is amazing or even goaded in a system versus a player who is great everywhere? So the reason I had this in mind when I was talking about Jokic is because I think we both might agree that the two best offensive players in the entire NBA right now are Steph Curry and probably Jokic. So I think proving uh, with Draymond Green being out, Steph Curry had his incredible season last year with Draymond Green still playing for them, that they were so incredibly efficient and impressive. Curry, I think, really shines when he has a player who allows to play off him with the pick and roll and uh, create shots for him. He does a good job of creating the shots himself, too. But I think with the position he plays where he's not as much the main role player or the sorry, not the main role player, but the main playmaker, uh, he's more of like the main go to score, kind of like a Kawhi Leonard. So when you look at a Jokic, Jokic can be that guy who scores you that bucket, but he's much more of a playmaker. And therefore, I think when you add Jokic to any team, that team is immediately better and uh, could be improved drastically from their current position versus Steph Curry. That is true as well, but I think you have to have a proper system that fits uh, Steph Curry and you have to have the right player to play off of him versus the way I see it is Jokic could play off of anybody. Do you agree with that kind of opinion? And I'm curious how you would value those players. Good question. So basically your question is a Curry player versus a Jokic player, someone who, does it all versus is elite, not the Jokic isn't elite, but is specifically great compared to other people in a certain skill set. Yeah. Uh, if you want me to just phrase it one more time, because I did kind of blow through it, but I want to say that is it better to value a player that is amazing or even goaded in one system versus a player who's maybe not as elite? but can be incredible on any team without having to worry about any system? It's a good question. I think my take would be that I would rather have someone who is to the level you're saying goaded or, you know, an all-time great in a certain skill set. I think that is what you build an offense around. And that attention that you would put on whatever skill in your offense or in your defense, but in your offense would be something that you build the entire team around that one thing. I think we saw that the Warriors were able to create a complete system that they then got players that fit that system, got um, people who perhaps fit in some of the areas that they needed a little bit of just kind of spot, you know, help in different skill sets that maybe, you know, the Curry's and the Clay's weren't as strong in. And that created a system that was unbeatable and forced other teams to, kind of form their selves in the image of whereas Jokic even though he's a great player I think he brings the entire team up with him but it's not a system that other teams necessarily have to 
completely alter around to perhaps keep up with that type of player. So you don't find it as much of a negative that if we took Steph Curry off of the Warriors and placed him on a completely different team, say like, I'm trying to think of a team, maybe like more, let me be a less def- uh, very efficient defensive team. So hmm, what would be a good, good comparison? Maybe like the, if we put him on the nets, do you think you would be as impressed with Steph Curry though on the nets? It's impossible to say. I don't really think that's a fair comparison because the team, the Warriors, is built around Curry being Curry. And that's their success. So I, if you took Curry and put him on the nets, it wouldn't be the same because of the intentionality that's happened up to this point. So you think it has maybe more to do with the, the GMs and upper management who do the build, team building versus the players themselves? Yeah, and that's what I'm putting myself in the mind of. If I'm asking myself, do I build a franchise with someone who has a unstoppable skill set versus an all-around player, you know, a terrific all-around player, a top five all-around player, I'm depending on how good that skill set is, obviously, and how good that player is. Curry has more than just shooting. I would rather have someone who has a skill set that regardless of the rest of the team will have to be focused on. And then I build around that. I think the potential is higher. Okay. Okay. I might disagree with you a little bit. I think I value playmaking a little more than, than just single solo ISO scoring personally, but I can see where you're coming from. And I don't think it's a fair assessment though. I think his Curry is a playmaker, his dribbling his you know, he's, very good uh, finishing around the rim as well. Um, you know, he's able to pass and create shots with just the attention he draws. That playmaking can't be defined by just passing. It Playmaking is defined by how you create opportunities on your offense. And both of those players do that in a different way. So I'm not sure that the question necessarily can be dialed down to just a skill set versus an all-around player. But I get at the heart of what you're saying, and I think it's a fair question. That's fair. I guess uh, you do have to take into account the fact that there's so much gravity around Steph Curry when it comes to uh, his offensive presidents that he frees up so much space for everybody else on the offensive end that he really does do a different kind of playmaking just because he takes away so much of uh, the defensive uh, players focusing on him versus everybody else on the court. Yeah, gravity is the perfect word for that. And that is, a, you know, something that when you take a skill like that, like you're saying, like if you have a goat type skill, that is what that creates. And that's what you build your team around that gravity. And if that gravity doesn't exist, then you're just going to let that player cook because that's what they're going to do. All right. All right. I think yeah. uh, you also mentioned you had a take about the Celtics too. To I do, do have a take about the Celtics. Transition. What have you been uh, seeing about the Celtics recently, Bird? Before I have so, in here. Obviously, the big big thing to note about the Celtics is they're having, I think, if not the best, they are one of the best defensive teams in the league right now. Uh, a lot of the complaints that people levied against uh, um, the T- Tatum and Jalen in the beginning of the season was kind of rectified slowly over the course of this year. Uh, Smart's, of course, having an incredible defensive season as well. Uh, so I, I guess I'm impressed with how they've corrected, but I also don't want to buy into all the hype that I've been hearing as well this season where they are a sleeper for excuse me a sleeper for the NBA finals well then I think we're gonna have something to argue about because my take is that the Boston Celtics are a top 
three team in the Eastern Conference. I'm putting them above the Sixers. I got Bucks and Nets, and then I'm going Boston Celtics. You don't even have the Heat in there at all. Your bias against Jimmy Butler seems wild. I'm not saying that the Heat aren't in there. They're like around five or six, but I would take the Celtics over the Heat. You would take the Celtics over the Miami Heat. I would, yeah. And I don't think that's ridiculous to say because you look at the Eastern I Conference I think it's blasphemy. Right now, I'm just saying. Blasphemy. I think you got the Celtics who are 7-3 and three in their last 10. Their defensive efficiency is number two to Golden State right now. They were at one point in this calendar year, in 2022, the 11th seed in the Eastern Conference. And they are all the way up to the fifth seed right now. Just looks like about a game back of the Bulls and a half game or a game and a half rather outside of second. So that kind of run, that kind of getting hot at the right time is exactly what you look for in the playoffs. Granted, they have to keep it up over this last month or so of the regular season. But if I'm looking at a team that I think can make a run, you look at the Hawks last year, you look at these teams that went deep that we weren't quite as expecting quite as much. It's because they got hot at the right time. And I value that way more than I value regular season record. So when I'm looking at these teams that I think are doing that, I think the Nets, obviously their record, you know, another example to kind of throw it out the window. We know they're going to be better than the AC that they are right now. The Heat, obviously I've never been as confident in them, but I, I want to see, I think the top end. Even though they made the NBA finals two years ago? Two years ago. And they, who did they beat to get there? <laughs> they beat the team who won the NBA Finals the very following year, so that's well, something. To and know. they beat the they beat the Celtics though to get you know to that Finals. So I think when you look at what a team has been and what they are now, if you want to use that example, the Heat, the Celtics meet those criteria, and they are, they are hot right now. They took a little bit of time. They had a new coach this year, but it seems like they're getting everything under them. And to your point, defensively, they're going to be a matchup problem for whoever they see. Shooters can get hot and cold. We know this, but defense can be a little more consistent and they're going to have that in at their disposal going into the playoffs. But what additions have they added this season that really makes them that different of a team from two years ago when they got beat by the Heat? I think the Heat as a team got better by adding Kyle Lowry as well as all their younger players kind of also improving. But then also Oladipo was an addition that I think should be either, if not coming back for the playoffs, uh, hopefully soon within this regular season, I believe. He's a player who I feel like everybody, including myself, forgets about that if he's added in and is at least some of the player that we saw when he was back in Indiana would be an incredible addition uh, to an incredibly uh, well-coached offensive team. That team, I, I think we both agree that when Brad Stevens was the coach for the Celtics, that was one of the best coaches we were seeing in the NBA. With Udoka as the new coach for the Celtics, uh, I think he's definitely been able to kind of learn his the system a little bit better over the course of the year i mean starting off pretty rough but then over the course uh in course correcting and improving the defense as well as uh knowing where to put his offensive players i mean when you have two great players with uh jalen brown and jason tatum and then other good players as well around them it's pretty tough to kind of set that system because you don't really have a go-to guy i think you have a couple guys who are fighting for it even though i think tatum is the better of the two i mean he did make the all-star game but I think Nick Nurse, or not, sorry, not Nick Nurse, but uh, and uh, with Spolstra as the coach for the Heat, he is definitely one of the most well-recognized uh, coaches in the NBA right now as having the best schemes and changing up on the fly. I have much more faith in him come playoffs uh, with really spicing up their team. 
I just think that the Heat's improved from last year. They're a much scarier team. That's why I personally was a lot more afraid of them uh, than I was um, of the Celtics uh, previously. I mean, look at Bam Adebayo. We didn't even mention, I didn't even mention him uh, as one of like another great shining, improving stars who's incredible defensively, should be in the conversation for defensive player of the year. And just also an incredible offensive talent as well. I think those things are true. And I think they can be true of the Celtics as well. You know, a lot of the roster is pretty similar from what the Celtics had when they had that Eastern Conference Finals run. But you also have the improvement of the two young stars, Tatum and Brown. And I think you look at down the roster, they're they're getting contributions from players like a Grant Williams. That That's the type of thing that's putting them over the top. You get these young guys that within the new system are working from. You got, you know, Derek White with the, the Celtics now as an addition. You got some of these guys that are just filling in on the edges and that's making their team that much better. I guess when I look at uh, how matchups go, you always kind of look at the stars first because really the stars are what win you the games. I have more faith personally on the stars that are on the Heat and on the Philadelphia 76ers, uh, which you also didn't, you, you dropped below the Celtics as well. What were the three teams that you had uh, I, that you mentioned again? I think if you had me do a top five, I would do Nets and Bucks one, two. It's, I, I'm hard to order those ones right now. We'll say Bucks one for the time being, Nets two, Celtics three, Sixers four, and Heat five. I used to say the Bulls, and I know in a previous episode I was a Bulls fan. I have come around to realize that that might not be the take. They're, they're still, you know, in that 6-7 range, but um, those would be my top five that I'm looking at as contenders in the East as of right now. All right. I just, I guess, don't have as much faith in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown as maybe you do. I recognize that they have experience in the playoffs, but I don't think either of them are really a set leader. So it's hard to really say that they are going to carry their team super far when I look at the heat and I know Jimmy Butler is a guy who is controversial, but I think everybody agrees. He's a very dominant leader when it comes to that Miami heat team. He's a leader. There's no doubt about that. And I think Tatum and Brown are those guys for this team. And we'll see if that translates to the playoffs. Cause obviously that takes experience that Butler has over more experience that they, that Butler has than those Celtics guys. And we will see how it turns out. All right. Uh, I wanted to go into one more thing as well uh, before we get into our uh, final topic. Uh, so Greg Popovich recently had an award uh, for having the most wins out of any head coach in the NBA history. I believe it was 1,377, if I'm correct with that number. Uh, so that's really impressive and something to commend him on, uh, especially too, since we were always talking about other great coaches. Greg Popovich is somebody to note uh, back in those days, maybe not as much now, but I think there's something to note about that. And uh, so I was getting a little bit of heat as well for my Tim Duncan take, I think last episode. So I'm going to spice up the water a little bit even more just to, uh, I guess, irk some people even more. And that's that uh, I think Popovich was lucky to have Tim Duncan. And instead of the other way that the media loves to say, or even uh, NBA fans love to say is that Tim Duncan was lucky that he had Greg Popovich. I think Popovich was more lucky, but that's even saying, despite that, that Popovich is the MJ in this situation and Duncan is the Scotty. But I think that reason that that dynamic is a good 
comparison is because of ego. And I think that was also kind of what tore down Greg Popovich. So let's unpack this bit by bit here. So you're basically saying that Popovich was part of the rising tide that lifts all boats. That was Tim Duncan. Mm -hmm. So you, so you're saying that he was, you know, he was the beneficiary. Let's take a step back here and just say like, do you feel, where do you feel Greg Popovich ranks among all-time coaches? If he's not the first coach, the best coach of all time, he's the second best coach of all time. I personally think X's and O's, Greg Popovich is the greatest coach of all time, and I'm not taking that away from him. But I'm also noting that I don't think he would be the player or the coach he is without players like Tim Duncan. So It's true. And it's like a chicken and egg. Sorry to interrupt. It's a chicken and egg argument, right? It's is Kawhi the player that he is now if he doesn't get that base under Popovich or is that the system? Is that him learning at, you know, being with Tim Duncan briefly? Is that, uh, you know, Tony Parker and Mono Ginobili, could they have been the players that they were um, fitting within that system? If not Popovich in charge, it's one of those things that I don't know if we can ever really know, but I don't think it has to be mutually exclusive either, which I don't think you're saying, but you know, the Brady Belichick argument, right? They can both be two of the greatest of all time. And that doesn't mean that one or the other was the one that was truly propelling the system. Great. But I'm not even are made, you know, greater than the sum of their parts. But I'm not even saying that uh, he needed the talent. I, I'm saying he needed Tim, Tim Duncan specifically and the stars he had. Because I bet if he had 75% of the other top stars in the NBA, he would not be the player or the coach that he is viewed as today. And that's because of his ego that I mentioned before. Uh, Greg Popovich, if you look at interviews and stuff like that, is a man who definitely has a high opinion of himself and can come off as pretty callous and harsh against not only the media, but sometimes his own players. I think when we look at the specifically the incident with Kawhi Leonard and the reason he actually even left the Spurs is when a player who finally doesn't want to fit into the system that Greg Popovich has, where everything must flow through me and everything I say goes, and I'm the best thing about this team. So many players didn't like uh, the fact that he was always the one who got the most credit and they would get less credit because they're like, oh, you're on the Spurs. And that's just, you're only great because Greg Popovich is making you great. I think uh, any player who has more of an ego uh, would not be able to survive on that team. So look at Kobe, Kobe Bryant and Shaq. I think Phil Jackson deserves a lot of credit because Phil Jackson, I don't believe, is the same X's and O's coach, but he is much better at managing talent on his teams than Greg Popovich is. That's the reason that Greg Popovich always had to have a lot of uh, foreign stars and G-leaguers pull up because they would usually be a lot more willing to go along with what he says. I mean, when even the whole Kawhi Leonard situation was going on, you saw uh, Parker and uh, Ginobili both kind of in different ways, kind of bad mouthing Kawhi Leonard and saying, why aren't you fitting in with this system? We don't like what you're doing. And I think a lot of that has to do with the culture that Greg Popovich kind of set into the Spurs. Okay. I guess my question is, is he wrong for that then? Is he wrong for having that system? Because I think it, it generates results. And whether or not the players fit in or don't, um, you know, I do think Tim Duncan was a great fit for that. I don't think there's any question about that. And I think Tim Duncan was made better by Popovich's style and Popovich's style was perfect for mm-hmm. Tim Duncan. And I, I, to, again, reiterate what I said before, I think those two people 
mutually exclusive of each other would not have been what they are now. And together they created a system to even my original point too, about, you know, the Steph Curry thing, they created a system around a player and that system has a potential that's greater than any single player has on any single team. But I think his stubbornness and his unwillingness to change or be at least a little bit different as a coach has also therefore given the uh, lack of success that we've seen in the past several years. Uh, I think that has to do with him being who he is. And I think that's a problem personally, because sure, like we were talking about before with Tim Duncan, they won, I believe it was five championships within 20 years, which is very good. And I mean, obviously a legacy, they were a great team for a long time, not only with Tim Duncan, but with all these other great stars that we're not even mentioning David Robinson. Uh, and then of course, I think I mentioned Ginobili and Parker, but I don't think that uh, as we can see now without those stars, he's able to thrive as much because of the way the stars are in the new, this new NBA. You can't be that guy who's honestly like a coach K for the NBA. That's not how you can talk to players and treat players anymore. That's why you don't see a lot of success for college coaches in the NBA is because as NBA players, you can't, uh, or NBA, as NBA coaches, more likely that you can't treat uh, your players like they're just students and pawns in your game. And I think that's what his problem is in this past several years, why he has gotten his uh, record and we should all give him props for that. But we're not seeing any, postseason success anymore from Greg Popovich. And I think that has to do a lot with his ego. Oh, I disagree with that. I disagree. My last point I'll make here is that I think that's just the nature of having sustained success for so long. At a certain point, you're just not going to be able to get those superstar players in the draft. You're not going to be able to, you know, continue with, and Kawhi is probably the big loss. If they still had Kawhi today, obviously things would be different, but ultimately. How did he lose Kawhi though? I think Kawhi is a very specific type of player that many coaches have tried to understand and have failed. Kawhi has bounced around, you know, obviously he went to Toronto, then left Toronto. It's, it's hard to get him to stay in one place. There's, there's always going to be rumors around Kawhi. I think Kawhi is more the exception there than Greg Popovich is as a coach. Sure. You're probably right about, you know, the, the system and everything, but ultimately the lack of success right now is not due to that style. In my opinion, it's due to the fact that you can't just have sustained success over the course of 20 years. You eventually you're going to have a follow-up because you, you can't be bringing in the same type of talent. Your talent grows old. You have salary cap to deal with. And I think it's a testament to looking at some of the players that he has on the team and has, you know, um, had go through the team, a guy like Deontay Murray, we um, saw made the all-star game this year was a 29th pick in the draft. Like the fact that he still is making all-star players out of these non-lottery picks that is a testament to his talent on itself, no matter what their record is. I think, though, for such a desired location and a hallowed history, though, it means something that a lot of these big stars don't want to go to uh, San Antonio, though, too. That's maybe the case, you know, and I think that it's tough because you do see a team that is in maybe a rebuilding stage, we call it right now, and stars aren't going to want to go there. You, you kind of have to build through the draft, in my opinion, unless you are a absolute huge market. And so it could be the coach. It could be, you know, a bunch of different factors. I think it's a little bit too much just to make a blanket statement about it being Popovich though. I think that's my, my ultimate point. All right. All right. We agree to disagree there. I think I we guess fought so. on both takes. We, we got, we got a little bit of tension in the room bird. 
<laughs> yeah, we'll see how it uh, if it dissipates or if it uh, increases with this next uh, topic here. Yeah, so let's go on to a list. We love our lists here. And Bird, you came prepared with the list today. It's not a joint list like we have done in the past. And I have not seen this list yet. I just know what the topic is. And the topic that you brought for us is your top 10 non-All-Star players. This is as of the 2022 All-Stars. And it's a tough task. I give a lot of props to you for trying to rank this because you're taking in a lot of factors and you know, trying to focus it on what it kind of means this year. So why don't you walk us through a little bit of how you thought about this list? Yeah, so you kind of mentioned that a little bit uh, where I'm going off of performance of this year alone. So a lot of great players uh, that we maybe would otherwise think of having that I should have on this list, such as Clay Thompson. I'm already going to spoil now that I don't have him on my list because I'm going off of the performance of this year. So therefore, we're not going into the historical back roots of, oh, well, look at what they all did in the past. I'm saying this is how good they are right now. And this is who I'm valuing right now, as well as injuries that they've had this year. So if a player is injured right now or has been injured for a while, I'm also not going to view them very highly on my list because I want to see who's available, who's playing right now, and who I think is just having a great year. So that's what I'm basing my list off of. So it's more of a not all-star snub list. I don't think that's what you're saying, but just if we were to make it an all-star tournament, add four teams, like these are the next 10 guys that you think would have fit the criteria to be on that type of system. These are other guys that deserve some acknowledgement this year for having an incredible year, but aren't quite the incredible standout all-stars that we would usually think of. Okay. I'm excited. Um, Now you have a list of 10. We kind of talked about this before the show. You do have some honorable mentions as well, but do you want to save those for after the list? I think we'll go for after this list. So that way, if there's some people that you think that I should have acknowledged at all, I will then give you them the acknowledgements at the very end. So that way we can save it a little bit. I guess I did allude to one uh, honorable mention already when I mentioned, uh, of course, Clay Thompson, but I don't think he should be on my top 10 list. The rest of my honorable mentions I'll save for later, but I guess I will acknowledge Clay Thompson right now since I mentioned him. Uh, he's having 16.8 points per game this year on 2.9 assists, so he is improving on his uh, assists and his playmaking a little bit compared to his usual just spot-up shooting. Uh, his defense is still on the pretty good level. He's not, I think, personally the elite defensive player that we used to see, but I still think his defense is pretty great. Uh, his field goal percentage, though, has gone down uh, 40.5. And more importantly, his three-point percentage is also down this year with 35.6, which was a large part of the reason why I dropped him down as he is not the sharp shooter. And what many people would say is one of the best shooters of all time as much this year. Did you see the uh, quote from Giannis uh, like last night that says we almost forgot who uh, Clay was when he put up 38? That's fair. Okay, so I... I I'm acknowledging that he's having some great overall games too. That 38 point game is something to note, but overall from what he's, when he's come back from his injury is what I'm kind of evaluating, but thank you for pointing that out that yes, he is still having glimpses of the old clay that there that hopefully will come out a little bit more in this coming year or even in the playoffs. Who knows? Who knows? All right. Well, let's hop in. What do you have at number 10? What player? Number 10 is a player that we talked about in a previous show a little bit and somebody who I want to give some love to. Number 10 is Tyrese Halliburton. Tyrese Halliburton so far this year has had 19.4 points per game, 11 assists, which 
is incredible, I think. I think he's being an incredible playmaker that should be uh, definitely commended and looked at. Uh, and he also has a 44% percentage three-point shooting. So that's also incredible, which is super valuable in the era that we have right now. So I think Tyrese Halliburton is somebody to look at for sure as being a great player and a verge all-star, I would say, in the coming years. And it's going to be really exciting to see what he does as the focal point of a Pacers team. And obviously we're starting to get to see that, but as you know, you get an off season, as you get more pieces around, they clearly view him as that type of fundamental player. And he might've been, you know, playing second fiddle to the De'Aaron Fox kind of situation in Sacramento. So I'm really excited. And I think this is a good pick. I, when thinking about who might be included on this type of list, I think that Tyrese Halliburton was one of the first young up and comers to consider in my mind. I'm glad you like it. There we go. Where are you simmering down from our uh, fights and we having a couple of flights, I guess, if that's the words we're using for the show. <laughs> I, I'm down. I like um, it. Yeah, we got a couple, a couple going. But you want to go, me to go into my number nine? Yeah, let's hop in. <laughs> All right. Number nine is one of the few shining lights in the Oklahoma City Thunder. And that's Shea Gilgis Alexander, SGA for short. Uh, he has had 23.4 points per game with 5.7 assists and 4.7 rebounds per game. I think he's a pretty uh, shiny example of the few little glimmers of hope and some of the good rebuilding. I mean, you had so many first round picks and so many, uh, so much rebuilding. You got to have at least one shining star, right? And I think SGA is perfectly that who's given them a lot of those wins that we're seeing for the Oklahoma City Thunder, even though they have very few. I want to credit a lot of those to him. It's going to be so exciting to see how they build around him. And, you know, they got Josh Giddy, who's always also creating a fun backcourt right now. I am a huge SGA fan. I think the Thunder and specifically Sam Presti, their GM, are playing their cards exactly right. And a lot of cards are yet to be played with all those first round draft picks that they have. But it's, it, I think that the Thunder are going to be pretty damn good, you know, sooner rather than later. I hope that's uh, true for their sake as well. Uh, going into my number eight, it might be a little more controversial due to his uh, earlier in the season uh, events and as well as his playoff performance last year, but that would be Julius Randle. Okay. So Julius Randle, since February 1st, has been scoring uh, 26.2 points per game, has 11.8 rebounds per game, and 6.7 assists. I think... Uh, he's picked up from his uh, slump that he had earlier in the season. A lot of people thought that everybody was going to be able to scheme for him now that they've figured him out since the uh, playoffs. I think uh, he's proven that that's not true. In the game that I just watched, too, that I mentioned, uh, where it was the Knicks versus the Nets, I was seeing a lot of pretty good defense, defense plays, defensive plays from him. I was seeing him rebounding, like I just mentioned with the statistics where his team and even the Nets, too, weren't doing an incredible job on the uh, on the glass this uh, game. But I think he was one of the few who was actually getting some work done. So I want to give some credit to him. And he is my number eight. Yeah, his last four games, 26 points, 36 points, 26 points, 46 points. He is someone who had high expectations going into this season. I think it's been hit or miss. And I'm not convinced that this current, you know, increase in production 
is necessarily permanent, but I do think he is someone who needs to be acknowledged when you do think about difference makers and specifically difference makers that lead their team. And I'm not sure he would have been on my top 10, but I think he's um, an honorable mention for sure. Okay. Hopefully you might agree with more my uh, number seven, who is also a player who I think has been doing a great job of leading his team in the absence of somebody who we hope should be that leader. And that's Brandon Ingram. Brandon Ingram has 20, uh, 22 point two points per game with 5.4 assists and 5.7 rebounds. I think I mentioned previously on other shows how I was very high on how he's been performing this year uh, as he's been keeping them alive and in the playoff hunt as well. I believe they're in the play-in right now. And that's a lot due to uh, thanks to Brandon Ingram. Uh, they have CJ McCollum now. So at least he has a little bit of help on the offensive end. Um, but I think he was doing a great job of being that leader when Zion, now that Zion's been out for so long. And I think hopefully he's been doing a good enough job that uh, when Zion finally comes back, a lot of, uh, and they'll be hopefully in the playoffs, a lot of that's due to Brandon Ingram. I'm a huge Brandon Ingram fan. I think he's just an absolute pure scorer. Been injured for the last couple of games here, and I think that he'll be coming back here um, pretty soon. And that team is so interesting. You know, whether or not um, Zion continues to be a, you know, really uh, a part of their team, you know, it's, it's up for debate. And I think regardless of whether Zion does come back or not, um, BI is the type of player that you can build around. Unfortunately, they've, they've been trying at this point and it's in had mixed results, but I think he is an absolute stud player. And I think it's definitely great that he's finally gotten to sh uh, shine now that he's been outside of the Lakers where I think he got a lot of unreasonable hate and criticism, but now that he's finally getting to shine in a new system outside of the very bright spotlights that are, uh, California and that LA Lakers. I think he's definitely starting to show the player that he really is. And I think everybody is pretty impressed by that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. All who right. you got a number six. My, my number six is DeMontis Sabonis, the guy who I don't know if it's very flattering, but I would like to call him a B level uh, Jokic. <laughs> and that is meant as a pure compliment. Because this big man does an incredible job, much like Jokic. He's just not quite the incredible, almost goaded stat that we have for Jokic, or at least I have personally. But I still think he's an incredible offensive player and an incredible playmaking center. 19.2 uh, points per game, 5.6 assists, and uh, importantly, 12.1 rebounds. So obviously he's a center, so you're going to get a lot more of those. But I think I would put him on the same level as a Aiton uh, as so, somebody who's an incredible offensive center, uh, which I also maybe want to do a quick transition to my uh, number five as well, which is DeAndre Ayton okay. with very almost close uh, stats where I'm getting 15.3 points per game, 10.3 rebounds per game with a 63% uh, field goal percentage. Okay. So the big men here, I'm not surprised that you have Sabonis at number six, I'm honestly a little surprised you didn't have him higher. I'm a huge Sabonis fan as well. I think for all the reasons that you said, you know, he is a terrific player and I really think that he is undervalued, um, you know, to your Jokic points in the past. I think that he does fit a lot of those qualities that um, any team would really be lucky to have Demonis Sabonis. And DeAndre Ayton is an interesting character, you know, because he kind of gets lost in those 
Suns, you know, superstars. You got Booker and and CP3, obviously. But Aiden really has proven that he is was deserving of that number one pick. And I think that's just really interesting when you look at the hindsight. So many players get flamed for being busts or whatever, you know, or, you know, the Timberwolves took Ricky Rubio over, you know, Steph Curry and Luka Doncic and Trey Younger looking to be those types of generational players. But I don't think anyone questions Aiden for a second. So that's a testament to he's how good he's been. He's one of the best centers in the league. I mean, wh- how many centers are you really going to take over him? I mean, he got exposed, surely. I don't know if you really can call it exposed because he was up against Giannis, one of the best interior presences ever, and definitely the best interior presence in the league right now with Zion out. Uh, so, I mean, I don't think a lot of centers could have done a much better job than DeAndre Ayton in the finals. So I don't want to take that away from him too much. Okay. Okay. Well, I got... You got four people left on your list here, and I got, you know, at least five that I'm interested in where you put them. So we're going to have a little bit of discussion here. Um, Let's keep it rolling at number four. All right. At number four, I have Pascal Siakam. Mm, Love it. Uh, The shining star that is on Toronto right now. He has taken over as the alpha on uh, the Raptors uh, with now. Kawhi and Lowry gone. He is now the full-on leader and doing a great job at it. Uh, 22.7 points per game, 5.8 assists, 8.6 rebounds, and a 50% field goal percentage. I think he has become an incredible uh, offensive talent and a pretty good defensive talent as well. I think uh, he is definitely coming in as his own as a leader on the Toronto Raptors. I mean, when you talk about shining stars, I agree that Siakam is is that dude, but Scotty Barnes too, my guy, that dude plays every position and not to get away from Siakam too much here, but I just want to give my guy, Scotty Barnes a shout out because uh, he is fun to watch. I, I got the pleasure of watching him in person when I went to the Wolves Raptors game about a month ago. And he is so big. He is so athletic. He is going to be a problem for years to come to your point about Siakam. He already is. And you know, I think he qualifies as a superstar in this league. And I think a lot of other teams recognize that as well. Yeah. I mean, he even had a teammate make the all-star game as well with Fred Van Fleet uh, mm-hmm. coming in to be one of the best shooters in the entire league right now as well. Um, I think both of us would probably agree that we would take uh, Siakam over Van Vliet, but Van Vliet deserves a lot of credit for being one of the best shooters in the league this year, for sure. Absolutely. Um, all right. What do we got at number three? Number three. Uh, we have one of my favorite players due to my bias. I apologize. I think I know. Yeah, I, I knew this was coming. Drew Holiday at number three. Uh, Drew Holiday is having an incredible year uh, on the offense. Still a great defender. I'm not taking that away. But what I'm saying is offensively, he has 18.3 points per game, 6.7 assists per game, and 4.7 rounds with 50.4 field goal percentage and an incredible 41.7 three points, a three point percentage. So there's a lot going well for Drew Holiday, that's for sure. I mean, he's Love. on one of the most impressive three, uh, three away duos in the league that you've got to really recognize and respect. Absolutely. One of those players that, you know, gets, gets lost in the discussion of, of some of the greats that we have in the game today. Um, especially, you know, defensively, he's, he's just so good. 
you know, he's top, he's number 11 in wins above replacement this year, um, which I think is a really important stat. Like you can't replicate the type of effect and impact that he has on a team. And we all know that the Bucks, despite the great players they have on their team, wouldn't be the team that they are without Drew Holiday. And uh, he is an absolute superstar. No, I couldn't agree more. That championship would not uh, be ours without Drew Holiday. I mean, that addition was crucial uh, as he took a lot of those hard defensive matchups in the playoffs and did a great job of being another go-to shooter and uh, just uh, scoring presence on the Bucks as well. But uh, I should transition to another great scorer at my number two. Uh, I don't know if it's a controversial pick, really, but uh, I don't want to put him at my number one, but I still should give him my respect, and that's Kyrie Irving uh, with 25.9 points per game, 5.4 assists per game, and uh, 47.6 field uh, goal percentage and a 40.8 three-point percentage so the thing to note is that's kind of down from his previous years so he's not performing as he usually does but he's still the best hand uh, has the best handles in the game but he's also only played in 18 games this season I think uh, that stat is still correct if if not uh, there might be one more game updated since I uh, found that but still the point stands that he hasn't played a whole lot of games this year and he's not exactly the same offensive presence that he was the previous year but he's still Kyrie Irving and he's still, uh, you know, super, super incredible handles, super good offensive uh, scoring machine. And that's Kyrie Irving at my number two. It hard to ignore, you know, it's, it's Kyrie. He, he still is that dude and he's already putting up, you know, 50 point games and now he's going to be a more consistent player. Uh, hard to argue with it. All right. All right. Let's uh, number one. Number one, I think you will appreciate this one uh, due to your previous take. I have Jalen Brown as my number one. Let's go. I, I, I think this was is waiting inc- for him. I was waiting for him. Jalen Brown, I think, is an incredible talent. And it's kind of crazy to think that even though we always see uh, Jason Tatum in the all-star game every uh, the past several years, we always kind of still have a little bit of a debate of, well, who do we really want to keep, though? Because these are both really incredible talents, and both of these people could lead teams. We're all just really impressed because both him and Jason Tatum are incredible talents. Uh, and it's kind of sometimes tough on some nights to really say who's the better player. I think overall most people would say Jason Tatum. But I don't think Jalen Brown's that far behind with 23 points per game, 3.4 assists, uh, 6.1 rebounds per game, 46.2 field goal percentage, and a 34.6 three-point percentage. Uh, Jalen Brown is an incredible offensive talent and also a uh, pretty good defensive talent as well. I love Jalen Brown. You know, to your point, a lot of people see Tatum as a star and I'm not saying he isn't, he is a star, but they are a tandem. You can't separate one from the other. And to be at that level with such an elite talent like Jason Tatum is a testament to how talented Jalen Brown is. And, you know, he is just I think he is probably the leader of that team Um, just with you know the way he has improved the way that he you know just plays the game and you know also just having high energy like dunks like he had against Maxi Kleba um, yesterday I am a huge Jalen Brown fan and I think that his um, contributions to that team are just as valuable if not more valuable than Jason Tatum's 
All right. Even more value, you say sometimes. Wow. I mean, to, to again, reiterate the point that I've been making this whole episode that, you know, the, the whole, um, you know, the system can be greater than the sum of the parts. And I think that he and Tatum together kind of embody that where they play together in a way that they create a team atmosphere that their contributions together are better than either of them would be as a star leading their own team. All right. Fair enough. Uh, you want me to get into my honorable mentions? Then? Yeah. So I got a couple guys here that I, I, uh, you know, I'm curious about you got both bridges is, you know, uh, Michael bridges and miles bridges. Um, miles bridges is definitely a, a person that I wanted to recognize, uh, 19.9 points per game. 3.6 assists per game and 7.3 rebounds per game at a 48% field goal percentage. Uh, he's looking pretty good this year. I'll let you, I think it sounds like you have some stuff to say about him. I, you know, not a ton. I, I think that just, again, looking at contributions to the teams this year, I think those guys are playing at a, you know, all-star consideration level um, to bring it back to that framing. I think, you know, you do obviously have guys like AD or Bradley Beal, um, that I understand why they aren't on the list right now. And, um, you know, my guy, Anthony Edwards, I, uh, I thought he was maybe in the all-star conversation this year. So Anthony where did Edwards, you end up with I your believe, honorable mentions? I thought Anthony Edwards was, uh, uh, commended as well. Um, I considered him as well. I think there was an injury, I believe, uh, when I was creating this list that had kept uh, him off my list for a time though he definitely deserves some recommendation. I would have had him on the list had he been uh, healthy, I guess, when I was originally creating it. But yeah, he is an incredible player as well that I go to as I think the second best player on the Timberwolves. That is a team that is rising right now, I believe, too, hopefully. Uh, and someone to note. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, but I also wanted to as well uh, acknowledge De'Aaron Fox as well, another great player. That deserves a little more recognition than he gets uh, living all the way over in Sacramento. You know, you don't get it noticed as much. Uh, I think that's partially for good reason. I mean, there's a franchise that we kind of always can write off. And unfortunately, we are justified in that. I think hopefully maybe a new GM is really the thing that they need to really turn that around. And maybe we don't have to treat it and act that way. But for now, I think that's the case. But that doesn't mean that De'Aaron Fox is not a great player with 23 points per game. Uh, 5.6 assists and <coughs> excuse me, sorry, sorry, 47.4 field goal percentage and uh, just an incredible player offensively. That's really help, helping to give uh, the Kings at least some semblance of rele relevancy. And that's thanks to him. Also leading the and league in Halliburton for a time as well. as well. Ooh, that's not a great stat that we, we love to hear though. I guess, <laughs> it's not what you want to hear. Not what you want to hear. But uh, yeah, De'Aaron Fox on the court, an unbelievable player, no doubt. Any other honorable mentions that you had? And lastly, we have Mikhail Bridges, who also deserves some recognition as well, uh, especially being a player who deserves to be in, uh, in contention for Defensive Player of the Year. I believe he's, if not the best, one of the best perimeter defensive players in the league. Uh, Mikhail Bridges is incredible with 13.7 points per game. 2.3 assists, uh, field goal percentage of 52.9. Uh, there's a lot good to say about Mikhail Bridges as well. Is there anything that you want to maybe note about him as well, Seamus? 
I'm just really glad that he's getting his shine. You know, I think he's a player that has improved every year he's been in the league and, you know, that type of defensive stopper is so valuable to a team. And I think that's really being recognized with like an all-star type level consideration, which, you know, even though you had those guys in the past, I'm not sure they would have been considered on that same level. Um, So it's really, uh, I'd say it's really exciting how a player like him has gotten into the NBA consciousness. Awesome. Well, All that's right. my entire list and our honorary mentions. Uh, didn't sound like you had too much to hate about that list. So no, that's good, I guess. I think that's a great list. I think, you know, um, yeah, I can't really argue with anything that you had on there. Uh, and I, all of these players, I like in their own way. And, you know, I might look at a Jaron Jackson Jr., but, you know, that's, you know, we're, we're really nitpicking when we get down to some of these, you know, spots on here. So I think as a list, especially one that's hard to come up with like this. Uh, you did a great job. So thank you for putting that together. No problem. I hope uh, the people also enjoyed it a little bit. It, maybe we'll see how much uh, hate there might be for that, but I'm all here for it. Bring it on. I know you're not going to like the Popovich one at least. So give me, give me it all. Give me it all. Give you all the smoke, all the smoke. Bird all the for. smoke. I want all the smoke. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode. Um, before we hop off here, uh, you know, to we, we enjoy talking about some things outside of basketball a bit. Um, you know, briefly, we got some big news that Tom Brady's on retiring today. Initial in, uh, thoughts on that, Bird? Uh, let's just say the NFL's not going my way recently. Uh, I mean, it may be surprising to hear as a Packers fan, but I was not hoping to get Aaron Rodgers back. Um, I think I was fully ready for a rebuild. I was ready to uh, be a... Uh, depressed uh, Packers fan for a while. I don't think, I think personally that if Aaron Rodgers wasn't able to win last year with the incredible roster we had around him, I don't have a whole lot of faith in him this coming year. Uh, the big salary addition too, if that holds to be true, it sounds like that's a little bit up for debate still. Um, I don't know if it's been confirmed yet, his 200 million, but uh, it just sounds like it's going to be a tougher NFL uh, league than I was anticipating, I guess. Uh, I was assuming that the Bucks were going to be a team that I could write off. That does not seem to be the case anymore. You can never write off a Tom Brady team, but uh, we'll see, I guess. Uh, what, what are you feeling about that uh, Russell Wilson trade too, by the way? I'm a big fan of the Russell Wilson trade completely because I play dynasty fantasy football and I have a ton of Broncos <laughs> stock. Uh, my Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy stocks are, are going way up right now, but I would, um, I think it's, it's really exciting that AFC West is unreal, especially with the uh, chargers making moves as well. Um, I'm super excited to see it, but to your point about, you know, Rogers and, and, uh, Brady, I mean, who would have thought like a month ago that those two were going to be running it back. Like that looked like both of them were going to be on new teams, but Mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure they will feel the consequences, especially as you're talking about cap space as it relates to the Packers, but it's all worth it. If you can make a Super Bowl run. And it uh, looks like our NFC might be pretty similar to what it was last year. AFC might have some new contenders, but uh, yeah, it's going to be going to be exciting. I, I really didn't see it coming. I thought Brady was done. I thought he, when he said he was done, he was done, but uh, Hey, I guess everyone gets that itch. And uh, you know, he's the type of guy that if he does, he can, he can come back because there's always going to be a spot for him. I think he really wants to go out on his own terms. I don't think he liked the way they kind of broke the story for him. And I think this year might be his uh, kind of screw you to the to the media to kind of, you know, be like, I'm going to do it my way. 
But well, and you I know, put he you on the spot just, a little bit here, quick. I was gonna say, you know, he was just uh, like ter- you know, not terrified, you know, just absolutely ticked off seeing the Rams win the Super Bowl after he almost took them out on his own. Oh yeah, but uh, to put you on the spot, I I really wanted to hear. So how highly would you rank uh, the Denver Broncos now with the addition of Russell Wilson? How high are you on them? Do you think they're getting the hype they deserve or are they overhyped? Do you think they are a Super Bowl contender? Do you think they have a chance or do you think there's too much competition that they don't, you don't think they're going to make it? I think they're like a fourth or fifth seed right now. You know, we got to see how it works out. I think Russ is great. I don't think he's top five anymore. I think he's top 10, but top 10 is good enough to get the job done. And they have a ton of weapons. Like, I really do believe in what they have there and some of the foundation. So they do have a new coach. Um, that's going to be interesting to see how that gels as well. So there's just a lot of factors before I could put them in Super Bowl contention. But I think that they are going to be a team you see on the schedule and say, this is the type of game we need to win if we want to be a contender. And they're going to be thinking the same thing about the, the contenders that they're going to face. And, and that'll be a lot of prove it early in the season. Fair enough. So that top five you mentioned, uh, is Tom Brady now cracking that top five? Now he's back in. What is that top five, by the way? Top five. I'm thinking more, you know, in the uh, AFC in terms of, you know, the the Bills, the Chiefs. I'd probably still put the Bengals up above them. Um, you know, is there's still a lot of ambiguity. I think it, if a team like the Colts can get a quarterback, you know, they might be right back up in contention. I, I don't have a, that, wait. Are you saying you value you think Joe Burrow is a better quarterback than Russell Wilson? Is that what you're saying? I mean, I'm just putting the team above them, but I think that Joe Burrow uh, right now, if you but I'm asking, I'm asking about quarterbacks. I want, I want to know your top five quarterbacks because you mentioned that. What, what are, what are they? I don't have, you don't, you, you, don't, you, you, you don't even have to put it in order. Just give me the, the group of them. What, who would you say in any order are those five that you want to put together? Gut instinct off the top of my head. I would say Mahomes, Allen, Rogers. I would not put Burrow in that quite yet. I think if Brady returns, he's honestly still a top five quarterback. Oh, because I mean, he was playing at almost an MVP level last year. And that's true. He was I, pretty close. I think you're looking at some conversation of like a, a Dak a um, Burrow, a Herbert is starting to get in that conversation. You don't think Stafford's cracked that? Uh, no, I don't think Stafford is in that right now. Um, yeah, I think, you know, a Kyler Murray is still in that conversation. I think you're looking at some of those guys for that fifth spot. I don't think I could say definitively, but, you know, if you really, really had to put me on the spot, I'll just say gut instinct. I will put Burrow for number five. Okay, okay, fair enough. I would maybe switch out for Kyler Murray, despite all the drama. I'd probably put Kyler Murray, but I can respect the rest of that list. I, yeah. I can respect it. Well, let's uh, let's wrap it up there. Another great episode. Um, I hope everyone has a great uh, week and happy March Madness to you, Bird, and to all of our listeners. All right. Take care. Peace, Bye. everybody.